Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of Tactical Tuesday. As, I'm not going to say always, but as most of the time, I'm joined by John. Today, we're going to be breaking down some hands that I've played in the past month or so in the Ignition Streets. The theme of today's Tactical Tuesday is going to be doing some donk betting, so hero donk betting. John, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, Brad. How's it going? It's going quite well. It's going quite well. Uh, would you like to break down the first hand for the listener? Sure. So, uh, like Brad said, this, these hands are all at 6 max cash, 510 to limit on ignition. Uh, the first hand starts with a fish on the button who starts with uh, 33 big blinds, so or 34 big blinds, so about $337 opening to 20 Brad flats pocket fours in the small blind and a reg in the big blind also flats the $20. Um, this is honestly the first kind of point of question I, I have about this hand was um, you finding the flat in the small blind with pocket fours. I assume that this doesn't happen if the button and the big blind are both regs. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a table configuration deviation where the button's a fish and the big blind is a reg, and the big blind can't really squeeze with more marginal hands here, just because any any squeeze they make, the button they're just committed to the button. Like the the button is just going with it um, with their whole stack. So basically, like if they squeeze to like eighty, uh, and the button jams, they never get to fold anymore, right? Which in my opinion, kind of removes some like suited connectors from their squeezing range and some of the lighter hands that they may be prone to squeeze with in general. So basically, I made the deviation because A, it's a fish on the button, and B, the big blind doesn't really have much incentive to reopen the action with marginal hands. Right. So then just to clarify, if the button was uh, had a full stack, had 100 big blinds, or, or maybe was just much deeper but not even 100 big blind stack, um, would you be finding the flat with small pocket pairs in the small blind? Uh, or does the situation have to be kind of set up exactly like this where the big blind also needs to have very little incentive to squeeze with the bottom of their three betting range? Yeah, I mean, it's a deviation for sure. I, I would probably be just fine doing it if the big blind were a fish so basically if the roles were reversed and the fish was in the big blind and the button opened then i could see myself flatting with some small pocket pairs in that situation as well interesting okay yeah i i occasionally flat from the small blind versus button opens um i think this is a perfectly reasonable spot and i think your logic makes really good sense to find you know wider or just having a flatting range in the small blind um, in this spot, I usually find myself flatting on the small blind when the big blind is a fish and I'm just, you know, very not concerned with them three betting almost 
at all. Um, so it'd probably be like a very passive fish with like a low three bet percentage, but a very high VPIP. So I know that I'm sort of getting, I'm very likely to get the big blind to come along as well if I flat, you know, pocket fours in the small blind or, or whatever I'm flatting. Um, so yeah, okay, cool. It's a, I mean, this is just an extension of that, right? Basically, right. the the focus here is the frequency that the big blind is going to squeeze. And I think that in both situations, the frequency is quite low. Mm-hmm. And that's why we kind of allow ourselves to deviate. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So three ways to the flop. Brad's in the small blinds, and we're playing against the big blind who's a reg and the button who is a fish. Flop is seven four three two tone um, seven three of diamonds with the four of spades. Brad has four of clubs, four of diamonds in his hand for middle set and a backdoor flush draw. Brad finds a lead uh, into a pot of sixty dollars. Brad leads for uh, just under a third pot. Um, I think this is worth talking about even before we get into the rest of the flop action. Um, just your decision to lead at all um, in swap. You want to talk about that first? Yeah, I mean, basically, code red board with the fish on the button. My thought process at the time was I can't really count on the fish to just c-bet this board all the time. Most of the hands that they're going to c-bet the flop with connect with the board in some way. So they're not like, I'm not, you know, I, I never miss a bet when I, when I lead here and they also can call wide and like turn pairs and, you know, a bunch of good things can happen. Whereas if I check my greatest fear would be that the flop checks through and we don't put money in on one street. Yeah. And I think especially on uh, code red flop, like you uh, mentioned early on, uh, that's even more of a disaster just because there are so many turn cards that are going to, change uh the situation from like you potentially getting all your money in on the flop with a set versus some type of hand to like where you just can't put all the money in anymore on like a five or a six or a diamond or like an eight or something like that oh uh, so yeah uh i think this i think the lead is uh i like this lead a lot i, I think um what you said about the button not you keep not being able to count on the fish to bet but um i think the fish very often does find like really light calls especially versus uh one third sizing on the flop yeah so i think all those things are are true i personally don't like have much uh of a donking strategy in my game um so i'll probably have like a lot of questions like like okay one of the first questions here is like what are other types of hands that you would lead like would you ever lead a bluff uh like a diamond draw like would you even call would you even flat like i have suited connector in the small blind um so flat pocket fours yeah Probably. I, I would flat some pseudo connectors in the same way that I flatted fours for the same reason that I don't think the big blind ought to be squeezing very light. I don't think that I'm supposed to be three betting the button very light just because it's the same situation because they're so short stacked. Um, I would lead most of my equity driven hands. So flush draws with overcards, um, those Ace type of hands. Suited, maybe. Ace five suited, maybe top pair, like seven, eight suited uh, if I have that, or six, seven suited, and then sets and straights. Gotcha. All right. So going back to the action, uh, Brad, just as a reminder, Brad has middle set on seven, four, three, two tone. Uh, Brad leads for $17 and into a pot of 60. And the reg in the big blind finds a raise to $62. 
seventy cents. Um, the about three x, a uh, little over three x. Um, our flop donk. Any did you, did you think you had a decision here at all, uh, other than flatting? Well, the button folds, and I don't think we mentioned the depth here, but we're about a hundred big blinds deep between me and the reg who is in the big blind. I didn't really think about doing anything other than flatting. I don't know that I. I don't know that I have too many natural bluffs here that just go like bet three bet, um, and I don't know what the big blind perceives my range to be right and how they perceive I'm going to even play my range. Um, if they're under the assumption that I'm bet three betting a lot of my stronger hands, then that's pretty good incentive for me to call and let them blast away if they're raising with some sort of lower equity type hand. What, what types of hands do you expect the big blind to be raising here with like, would you be surprised to see a bluff? Are yeah, you... I would be pretty surprised to see a bluff, honestly. Okay. Like, I, I don't know. It seems like a pretty strong range. Like, I, So, again, ex- something equity-driven, so some sort of diamond draw, st- straights are obviously going to raise, um, sets of trays are going to raise, sets of sevens. If they have, like, some sort of 7-3, maybe they have ace-five, uh, some sort of blocker-type hand. I think those are those are hands that can like reasonably raise, um, yeah. but still like a combo of four three suited and yeah, yeah one combo of four three suited. Yeah. So no, I I didn't really have plans on bet three betting here at this depth, like just pure call for me. Okay. Yeah, I, I was just like wondering, like from the perspective of like, oh, we have a hand that's not that we're probably not going to be folding to any reasonable run out and reasonable action from the big blind and if our perception is that the big blind just has like tons of really really strong hands that for the most part are going to be happy to stack off um on the flop you know how hard should we be trying to get the money in right now before weird cards potentially peel on the turn um i think that sort of goes against what you said very early on in our flop discussion though about how you just are probably not perceived to have very many bluff bet three bets on this flop seems like something like i don't know kind of two strategic uh things that are going against each other i mean the reality is like i think it's human nature to just want to get the money in especially when we could have a lot of like dangerous turns or rivers but you need to flat some strong hands out of position else you leave yourself open to just getting Mm. brutalized when you've got a hand like seven eight or six seven Okay. And we we need we we just really have to build a range that we can protect ourselves against getting brutalized on like various turns and river runouts. Oh. Okay, so we flat the sixty two dollar raise. Uh, there's now one hundred and eighty five dollars in the pot. The turn is the eight of hearts, so the board is seven four three eight. Brad checks the turn and the reg in the big line <clears throat> uh, basically leads for pot. He that's one hundred and eighty one dollars. I assume your logic here is going to be similar to your logic for not finding raises on the flop. Um, and you will probably be pure flatting uh, pocket fours and, and most of the hands that you continue with in this spot. Yeah, for sure. I'm just, again, it's hard to have too many bluffs. I mean, villain's taking a fairly dangerous line here with flop raise and then potting the turn. Um, I, I am a little bit concerned that like, 
you know, little little bit concerned that they found the five six. But again, they could also find the pocket trays. So whatever. Yep. Okay. So we call the one eighty one. Head to a river, um, which is the seven of spades. So Brad improves to the second worst full house, I guess, uh, <laughs> on four, three, seven, eight, seven. Again, it's number Brad. one, number one in my heart, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I wanted to phrase it that way in the sense that, like, yes, it feels pretty exciting that we hit, that we made a improve to a boat. But if all the money does still go in against a reg, we're probably not excited by it. And in some cases, we might even be unhappy that the river was a seven because now seven, three and seven, four, uh, are beating us. Um, but anyways, minor consideration. I'm way uh, more so, concerned about five, six than anything. Any right. Right. Ones. Yeah. Uh, so Brad, you check the river, I assume. And then <laughs> the reg and the big blind, uh, jams, uh, for about one and a half x spot he puts he bets the river for 763 dollars into a pot of 548 i don't know any <laughs> you ever folding here with with uh come on john or full of sevens okay. <laughs> the answer is of course not okay. um i'm like it's pretty clear I, I beat villains value plus like in the rare occasion that they find some kind of random spewy type thing like it's just yeah, I haven't found many places in the you know through analyzing the data where I get to fold a, not a full house on the river. So I'm going to stick with that sort of heuristic of not folding full houses. Yeah, that seems reasonable. I, I, that's probably what I would do as well. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Brad does call the 1.5x pot jam on the river. Um, you know, tell us what the big blind had. Yeah, they showed up with the tray five of spades. So they raised the flop with bottom pair, gut shot, and backdoor flush draw. Yeah, it seems like maybe like one of the, the best hands I could think of to bluff raise the flop. Um, I think it's a little bit unnecessary, to be honest with you. With the fish in there or like what's... Well... Like being uh, in position? And- you're, in, you're in position, you're facing a small lead, you've got equity and backdoor equity it just seems like not the best hand to go crazy with with a pair i think like a better hand would probably be something like six nine of spades um mm-hmm. just a hand that you know has backdoor equity and also blocks five six but is also nine high and not a pair of trays gotcha okay interesting um would that just out of curiosity would that answer change whether if the reg with five three or spades was out of position, because I, I feel like I see that a decent amount where like bottom pair plus like straight blocker with backdoor flush draw starts turning itself into a bluff um, instead of, you know, calling a bunch of streets with bottom pair. I don't and know. I feel like that's, that's like some feedback I've heard as well on some of my bluffs from some of the better players in greatness villages, but like, Oh, why don't you just pick a hand with like slightly more equity, like one that has bottom pair and a gut shot instead of just the, or gut shot. Oh. Yeah, but I think it's like th- this situation is, you know, there are a lot of data points that you're trying to manage. And I think yeah, that, like yeah. it needs to be very specific, those spots that you choose. And here, like with the whale on the button, um, who's still live, by the way, I mean, they could still like have a hand that they just right. pile with. So, like, you raise the 70, this flop lead, and then the button piles, and now you're 
basically calling all in with your tray five suited, which is probably not the greatest of spots to be in. Uh-huh. Um, so the, the fish, the button's still live. And yeah, we just have an okay hand to like call and realize future data point in position without like bloating the pot. And like, I, I think where things kind of got away from them was just in my strategy construction of like not having a bet three bet range on the flop and not having a check raise range on the turn. I think that sort of led them to the conclusion that I don't have too many strong hands to play the river. And so they're naturally bluffing. I I mean, we can also make a point too of like when they bet pot on the turn and I call, um, do they need to even bluff the river with their bottom pair at this point? Like, do right. do they just beat some like ace five of diamonds or nine ten of diamonds type hands? Like, do they need to turn this into a bluff? Like, which I think that they probably do not. Um, but again, it's just yeah. That basically, when they started out by raising, they just decided that this is <laughs> their plan is now to make me fold, and that's really yeah. all they're thinking about. Yeah, I agree that the river sizing is definitely. Uh, the river decision and, and in my opinion the sizing feels a little bit questionable like I, I don't know if you're ever folding a hand that you get to the river with regardless of sizing like maybe he thinks the seven is a good card to start bluffing and like get you to fold like pocket nines something like that i just yeah no chance i'm three betting pocket nines pre right 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 uh, like it, ha- it would have to be i don't know some i'm folding a I'm folding a four i'm folding pocket fives or pocket sixes i guess is like the yeah. I don't know, even though they block five. Who knows? I don't know. All I know is that like the flop lead probably there's probably some like induction going on there when I led the flop. Right, right. Led yeah. to some like over aggressing. Yeah. And uh pretty interesting hand. And coming up after the break, we're gonna go through another interesting hand where I once again lead, stick around, and don't miss it. Fish dog bets the flop, and you don't know what to do. One man, Coach Brad Wilson, has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds. Nuffle. Available now. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash nuffle. Rated R. So, John, you've used neutralized flop leads in the past 24 hours, correct? Yeah, so I got the basically the slide with all the info on it on Friday evening, and yesterday I played a session of uh, 1KNL on Ignition and played one particular pot that I remember where a fish just donks flop turn river into me, and I ended up winning with a hand that I would have folded before looking at the slide, but I ended up winning like a $400 pot instead and the course is $99, so (laughs) definitely paid for itself very, very quickly, and and I think that'll be the case for even people that aren't playing as big as 510 No Limit. Like, I think this is a course that will very, very quickly pay for itself given how how much more donking there is at lower stakes. And I think one of the most common questions I see asked in the Greatness Village Slack group is what do donks mean? How do I deal with donk bets? I, I think that's gotta be like in the top three most frequently asked questions you you ought to feel very excited when somebody donks into you because some good things are about to happen 
you said like you probably don't need anyone to teach the course or like you can just look at the slide and, and learn all the info yourself. I feel like you, you, Brad, will have to be there because I am I'm almost sure, sure that anybody who looks at the slide won't believe it looking at what they're supposed to do and will have to confirm with you that like you didn't make a massive typo somewhere and that this is actually what they're supposed to do because it's pretty shocking the optimal way to deal with fish donking into you on the flop is. If you'd like to check out Neutralize Flop Leads so that you're never again confused when a fish leads into you in a single race pot, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash Nuffle. That's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash N-U-F-F-L-E. And now, back to the show. All right. Welcome back. This is a hand where I lead and things don't turn out so cleanly like they did in the last hand where there's some actual decisions to be made um, on the river. So John, why don't you dive into hand number two? Sure. So same cash game situation, five ten to limit on ignition. Uh, hand starts with a reg in middle position, opening to $25. A small blind, who is a fish, uh, flats the 25, and Brad is in the big blind with 6-3 of hearts. He flats the 25 as well. Just a quick note on stack sizes. The fish in the small blind starts the uh, gets to the flop with 67 big blinds. Brad has 160 big blinds, and the reg in middle position, who opened preflop, Starts the hand with twenty or uh, two hundred and ten big blinds, uh, so Brad and the reg are pretty deep, um, and the fish and the small blind is sort of playing a close to a half stack. Um, the flop is six five three two tone six five of clubs three of spades. Uh, the small blind checks, and then Brad decides to lead for uh, just under half pot thirty six dollars into um, a pot of seventy five. Let's let's talk about this first. So my strategy on a lot of these types of boards, especially when we have the fish involved, again, I ask myself, is the reg just going to be betting every single flop here when it's three ways? I don't think that they will. And because of that, again, I want to avoid the check through. I want to basically, I'm targeting the fish here specifically for you know when the reg doesn't have anything and they check back i want to make sure that like again we start out the flop with a bet instead of instead of it getting checked through yeah i think that's reasonable i also think that this flop in particular six five three two tone is has a flop where uh i'm guessing like in theory the big the big blind can um be leading quite often right into the pre-flop razor i i really like the 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 first point that you made, though, about you know the big blind is just not incentivized to, you know, see bet range on this flop, especially versus two players. Whoa! Um, you keep saying big blind, but I'm the big blind. Excuse me, excuse me. The uh, rag in middle position who opened the hand preflop is not incentivized to just see bet range, especially on this flop, especially versus two players, especially when one of the players is a fish, um, so, and one of the players is deep too. Right. Right. Yeah. Like um, I, I would actually. I, I wouldn't be surprised if I know like my strategy here, if I'm uh, the player in middle position would be to like check back range three ways right. here. Yeah. And I think that that's probably the, the most reasonable strategy uh, for the preflop razor to have as well. Um, so yeah, I, I really like this lead for all those reasons. 
very, very good. And so because I'm targeting the fish, just like in the last hand where I was targeting the fish, I get raised by the reg and the fish folds. Why did you, uh, you lead smaller in this hand? Was going to be my next question than you did in the pocket fours. In the pocket fours hand, you led for about a third pot. Here, you're leading for about a half pot. Um, so I think you need to work on your question because I'm leading bigger here. <laughs> oh, is that what did I say? Smaller? I meant bigger. Why are you bigger? <laughs> yeah, I'm leading bigger here. It's uh, I don't exactly remember why the sizing difference. I could have just pressed the forty percent instead of the thirty percent. I think, yeah, I'm not really sure. I, probably because the fish has more money in front of them than the last hand. The last hand they had like 30 big blinds. Now they have almost 70. So, yeah, everyone's again, deeper here. Yeah, everybody's a little deeper here. Yeah. Okay. So we lead the flop for $35 into a pot of 75. Like just again, we have top and bottom pair, 6 3 on 6 5 3, two tone. The preflop raiser in middle position raises to $117. Uh, again, same as the pocket fours hand that we just talked about. Uh, it's about a three X raise over our flop donk. I don't know what. What are your thoughts here, Brad? Unexpected, surprised. Did not really think I was going to be getting raised here by the reg with anything, and then sort of unpacking what I thought the raise meant, and. Mostly the conclusion that I came to was like, uh, I did not think overpairs would raise here because it's kind of crazy for an overpair to, you know, reopen the action here. So my mind was already kind of leaning towards a bunch of like flush draws. Interesting. Yeah. I, I'm sort of with you on this, that I find it very strange that a reg kind of raise here at all. Um, I know that personally I would just be playing my entire continuing range as a flat. Like I never have straights on this board. The best hand I can have is uh, probably like top or middle set. Um, I think I would just play those as flats as well. Uh, play my draws as flats. Um, again, like with draws, like I, I would, you know, it's like not that big of a disaster to flat and like have the small blind also call. Um, that's, I assume that's sort of what I'd want with most of my draws. So yeah, definitely sort of weirded out to to get to see a raise here uh, at all. Um, I, I think it's good though we should probably be feeling pretty good that we get raised here just because it, it represents a pretty clear strategic hole in the way that this ignition reg is structuring their flop strategy. Because again, I, I don't think they're raising their overpairs or they shouldn't be anyway. And so the fact that they're raising anything is like, yeah, it's good to see. Right. Right. Yeah. And just as a sort of an aside, I think that's, like part of what you said was in the pocket force hand was that your lead like induced this guy to go crazy. And, you know, I think something similar could very well be happening here. And and when you start implementing strategies that even regs are not very practiced in facing or very studied against, like a flop donk just doesn't happen enough of the time for, I don't know, most even like regs to spend, sit down and like spend a lot of time dissecting exactly what they're doing against it. And like what people are, what other regs are leading the song with flop with. Um, and I think, they you're going to see like regs open themselves up to uh, making more mistakes and um, you know, doing things like this that they probably shouldn't be. And I think it favors the more logical or intuitive driven type of player in that if it's not something that they, that a theory driven analytical player can like study or sees 
with a high frequency, then when they get put in a situation that they're unfamiliar with or uncomfortable, now they've just got to figure it out. And if you're not used to figuring stuff out like on the fly, it you're going to run into some problems. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, but, so uh, Reg raises to one hundred sixteen dollars. Brad calls the one sixteen and. A very unfortunate turn. It's the five of diamonds. So the board is now six, three, five, five. Our top and bottom pair have been counterfeited. Now we have just a very weak top pair with a kicker that doesn't even really play anymore. <laughs> uh, um, I assume you're checking here with range and the middle position player. That's $202. So uh, just about two thirds pot into a pot of 308. Ugh. What are you thinking here? I wasn't as sad about the turn as you. I think there are more turns that I could have been more sad about. Like I think because I was thinking of flush draws on the flop, like club club turns would have been would have felt way worse. I have no idea what this opponent is repping at this point. Like they're trying to rep. I don't know. I I, I I suspect the five ought to be a pretty concerning card for like aces if they did choose to raise aces on the flop because like, you know, four, five, five, seven, we're just going to have some five X. Um, so yeah, it was, it was weird. I, I didn't really, again, I'm facing a lot of things in this hand that I, I didn't really think I should be facing. And when they just bet here, because I don't think aces is going to be betting, um, uh, and another thing too is like I could easily just have a set, right? Like I could just flop a set here or have five, six and like aces is just drawing stone dead when right. they, when they bet the turn. Um, so yeah, I, I, I wasn't that concerned with the bet to be honest. I felt pretty confident that they had kind of put themselves in a corner with only one specific hand type and yeah, let's just, let's just go and basically see if that theory is correct. Right. As I feel like these spots, these kind of interesting sort of funny spots happen sometimes where you're sitting, you know, on the turn or river with like a marginal hand and you're actually happier that your opponent bet than check back. You're like, well, if they check back, our 60 suited might be dead like versus aces. But if they keep betting here, uh, so unlikely that they have a hand that beats ours that, you know, we're almost excited to see the two thirds pot on the turn, um, even though it's a little uh, probably like a little bit annoying to call when your two pairs have been counterfeited. So uh, anyways, back to the action middle position bets 202 into 308. Brad calls. The river is the jack of diamonds. So the board is now 6355 jack with $713 in the middle. Brad checks the river, which I assume he'll be doing with range again. And the middle position player bets 404 into 713. So uh, just over half pot. Uh, this sizing seems questionable as well to me. Uh, you want to talk about this? I mean, you can tell that I had a pretty good read on this situation because if I didn't, I think looking at it now, my first in- instinct would have probably been to pile just because like, I have all the set blockers. But really, I'm I, trying, I, trying, trying to get him to fold like over pairs. Yeah, like trying to get him to fold better hands. But yeah, I don't know if this should be a thing. Like there's 2x pot left. So the, the stack sizes are a little bit awkward. 
I have, I, I don't know. <laughs> Again, it, it is a little bit questionable, but I think pretty much every action outside of them raising preflop that they've taken thus far has been questionable. So why not here too? Okay. So I guess the last question is when, you know, if you do decide to call this river, um, kind of the types of hands you would expect to see. So value you'd expect to see, uh, I don't know what you'd expect to see for value. So let's see. Quads. Quads. Okay. Quads and like pocket sixes that, uh, are like now second boat, I guess. And I don't know, would they, would those hands even bet so small on the river? Like, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, and then for bluffs, uh, like you said, on the flop, a lot of flush draws, maybe hands like 7-8 or like, you know, 8-9 of spades or some sort of like ace form, even maybe. Um, I give you credit, John, for like trying to for like trying to carry this episode and like create some like some angst or suspense at the river decision when basically at every street I'm like, yes, I think they have a flush draw. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never folding. I think that like I've made it this far with my hand. I'm certainly not going to be folding, getting, you know, almost three to one on the river with my, my three pair. All right. I'll, I'll stop trying to make that. <laughs> it actually- no, it was actually a really good effort. I, I'm very, I'm very proud. Um, I, I've just ruined it with the analysis from the earlier streets, but I mean, like the reality of poker and a lot of hands that I play is like, I have plans for the future and I'm actively trying to figure out what opponents have and then figuring out like when I get the call down and when I don't so that like when I make it to the river, it's not, uh, yeah, my action is typically not very surprising to me because I kind of have a plan for a lot of different, you know, different scenarios. Okay. So we'll cut to the, the reveal, I guess now. So Brad calls the 404, and you want to talk about what the big blind or what the I keep saying that what the middle position player has? <laughs> yeah, you it's in you now. So they have the king ten of clubs. I mean, they have a busted flush draw. It was kind of like, yeah, my my intuition was kind of dead on, and yeah, I feel yeah, I feel pretty good about the way that this this hand went down. And I think that like you know what you said and what we touched on earlier of like rag facing something they don't they're not used to or don't normally face just kind of short circuits and can't really figure out a a good way to construct balance ranges throughout the rest of the hand yeah yeah wow i just okay one more hypothetical I, i know you hate these you know like what if questions but had the middle position player the reg found the 2x pot river jam you think that would have changed your decision at all what do you think? I feel like that's what they should, the size that they should be going with on the river. If they take this line, it should, there shouldn't be anything other than jam on the river. Uh, do you think that would change my decision? No, I'm guessing no, but oh, maybe the <laughs> listeners are interested in whether you call. <laughs> no, I'm just curious. I, I'm actually curious. So this is me being curious about what you think. I, I don't think so. I think you've, I think you're the type of person that sort of almost has made your mind up on the, on the flop maybe, but definitely on the turn. Like you said, like I, I assume you're going, you know, or I know that you're going into these rivers with a plan, and I'm sure facing a jam was one of them. I assume that you would have just followed through with your um, kind of your intuition on the flop, and that you just shouldn't be raising over pairs. And then again on the turn, that they would probably not be betting over pairs once the five pairs. Um, and I assume you would have just 
called off the 1300 with a pair of sixes. Well, I guess you have sixes and fives. And threes. Oh, my. See, <laughs> three pair with a jack kicker. <laughs> <laughs> so most people see most people get scared facing the big bet, but I just see it as, you know, more money for me. More money. <laughs> more money in my account balance. Um, no, I mean, basically because of the way that I, I read the hand and the way that it played out, like there's nothing that they can do to win the pot. They're just going to get cold no matter what they do. Right. And for the record too, I think like, you know, I do have full houses too that I, I call with. So yeah, I mean, we saw that clearly from the pocket force hand that you definitely do have boats in this exact spot. Um, sure. And you know, one could make the, you know, one could make the argument that like, yeah, I'll just call when I have the boats, but you know, I don't have the boats here. So <laughs> we got to, we got to call with what we got. Yeah. Got the fake boat, the, the boat blockers. Yeah. We got all the boat blockers. You only jam those when they have quads though. So uh. that's true. Like <laughs> if I would have jammed here and turned my three pair into a bluff, they would have certainly had pocket fives. I know. Yeah. It. Exactly. <laughs> and then we'd be like, yeah, okay, I guess fives make sense to bet like that on the, <laughs> on the flop and bet that size on the turn. <laughs> John's alluding to a few hands that I've played recently where I've tried to bluff in kind of, I've, I've taken some pretty, we'll say brave lines. One was a check three bet rip on the river. The other one was a two X pot shove three ways and both times <laughs> both both bluffs that I ran, villains showed up with quads and they were both like pretty unexpected quads at that. You avoided it this time, I guess. You uh when you don't jam, they have the flush draws. Yeah, that's that's all you gotta do. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Tactical Tuesday. Me and John will be back at it next week. Best of luck grinding and making good decisions on the felt. Yeah. Hopefully I'll, or maybe I'll start incorporating some, uh, some flop leads into my game as well. And well, I guess the hard part, honestly, is flopping the two pair in the set. So if I can do that, maybe, maybe <laughs> I can find some leads too. <laughs> yeah. I'm still working on the turn leads like coach Thomas. I always manage to like face plant every time I tried doing that. So yeah, that's, I got work to do. That's the exact spot. And the person I was thinking about when I said like, Oh, by the way, when you do things into regs that they don't expect, they don't see very often they're, you know, they just, like you said, they just short circuit. Oh yeah. Coach Thomas leading the turn in like what feels like 80% of the hands he plays. That <laughs> <laughs> was exactly what I was thinking about when I said that. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of chasing poker and greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.